Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. There's something about being at LBCF and a pastor, like I set a trend where pastors just need to unmute themselves. So what can I say? It's because we always have so many words. Hello, Merry Christmas. So many times I have wanted to say Merry Christmas, but there's nobody in my house to say it to. So let me say to you all, Merry, Merry Christmas. As Ryan said, we are going to be ending. Um, yeah, we're ending our series in New Testament 2020. This is the last week that we're teaching, and I get the honor of uh, talking about the last four chapters in Revelation at Christmas. Yeah, you know, I titled this message, Revelation is Christmas, and Christmas is Revelation. And I'm going to begin by uh, reading just the first couple of verses, well, one verse in Revelation. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear. And that's Revelation 1-3. And it ends with this, even so, Lord Jesus, come. And that's Revelation 22-20. And now I want to read from the book of Luke. And uh, Chloe is going to put a slide up there so you can read parts of it. I'm reading some selected verses, and I'm also going to read more than what you show on your screen. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace among those whom he favors. And then I'm going to jump to verse 22 because Jesus is born, but Mary and Joseph, they need to take him to the temple to be consecrated. So when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him, Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit rested on him. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Mary and Joseph, they were poor people. 
when they consecrated their son Jesus to God in the temple in Jerusalem, like Mosaic law required, actually that law is in Leviticus chapter 12, they offered a pair of turtle doves or pigeons. But the requirement of the law was that they would offer a lamb for this male child. But if they couldn't afford the lamb, then they could use pigeons. Mary and Joseph made the offering of the poor. Mary held in her arms, and then Simeon held in his, the baby, the lamb, whose time for sacrifice was not yet. And what that lamb began is continued by each of us, by all of us, by you and by me, by all of us that bear his name. Oh, and the shepherds, they lived apart from what we would consider civilization for sure, and from what was considered civilization then. They lived among the company of the outcasts of society, the others. And from those margins, they occupied slave-like spaces, guarding flocks of sheep that usually almost rarely belonged to them. And yet they guarded these sheep with their very lives. But the angels came and they sang for the outcasts and the poor. And they revealed the news that Messiah had come first to them. There's another story of Jesus' birth in the New Testament. In addition to the familiar stories in Matthew and the one here in Luke, it's in Revelation. One commentator called it that strange, wonderful, and sometimes dreadful collection of visions written by John. His visions, as we've heard multiple times here during Advent, use symbol and myth. And I would assert that that's to indict the Roman Empire as the evil empire and to confirm Jesus as the true Lord, making the true kingdom on earth as it is in heaven or as John calls it, the new Jerusalem, the place of peace, love, hope, and joy, the place where the lamb reigns on the throne. Revelation is not about a terrible war that will happen at the end of time. It is about then because John is speaking specifically to seven churches and it's about now. It's about that war that's been happening since creation the one not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, good versus evil. I'm going to quote Oscar Romero here. God's reign is already present on our earth in mystery. When the Lord comes, it will be brought to perfection. That is the hope that inspires Christians. Amen. So the birth story in Revelation in Revelation 12, we read about a woman, and I have a picture of her. So, Chloe, can you put up that picture? A woman clothed with the sun, a crown of 12 stars on her head, and the moon under her feet. She is pregnant with a male child who is to rule the nations. As she gives birth, a dragon with seven heads and ten horns is waiting to devour the child. But that child is rescued and is taken to the throne of God. The woman is said to be Mary, the mother of Jesus. And then 
You can go ahead and take that slide away, Chloe. So later, the dragon, though, is defeated by the blood of the lamb. The blood of the lamb. Jesus at the cross. The child is Jesus, and a beast rules the earth. In John's late first century setting, the beast could mean the Roman Empire and its emperor, who was Caesar. And for us today, it could mean any evil worldly empire and emperor. Jesus is the child. Rome is the beast. And the means of Rome's or any other empire's defeat is the cross. But the symbolism becomes even more powerful when we recognize that there's actually an archetypal myth that shapes these chapters and Revelation as a whole. It's an ancient myth, an ancient story of conflict, of war between good and evil. John, our writer, and the people, they already knew that story. And John uses it here in this book that he's in this letter because it's an epistle that he uses. He uses it here for the advantage of Jesus Christ. Traces of that myth are found in the Hebrew Bible. The dragon has names like Leviathan. And in the New Testament, the cosmic combat myth lies behind an interpretation of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Um, some commentators call it the Christus Victor. It portrays Jesus' death and resurrection as the means whereby God defeated evil powers, those evil powers that hold humankind. And then Rome, remember that when John was writing, Rome was still in charge. Rome had a similar story, but the hero was Apollo. And that story was central to both the religious and the political ideology of the Roman Empire. And ever since the first emperor, Augustus, brought civil wars after the assassination of Julius Caesar to an end, and he ushered in what was called Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome, and a Golden Age, the emperors of Rome were given divine titles. They, they were known by names like uh, Dominus, Lord, Phileas Deus, Son of God, and even Deus. John hated this. But even more than he hated the titles given to these emperors, he hated that the people, even the Christians in the seven churches he was writing to, chose allegiance to Rome over allegiance to God. And if they didn't choose it completely, their allegiances, maybe our allegiances, were certainly mixed. So that vision of Jesus' birth and revelation, as John sees it and writes it down, it echoes the story of Apollo's birth, only John's vision of the birth of Christ reverses the Roman vision, the Roman version. Caesar is not Apollo. Jesus plays that role. Jesus is the light of the world who brings in the golden age of peace on earth. And rather than it being Apollo who slays the beast, Rome, empire, is the beast. So the story of Jesus' birth and revelation has religious and political meanings for us. Far from bringing peace on earth, Rome, 
Empire is the source of disorder, violence, death. The Roman Empire John speaks of was politically oppressive, economically exploitative, and religiously blasphemous. The Revelation story indicts that Roman Empire and by extension any other system of domination wherever and whenever it appears. And the story that was happening then has always been happening. It's happening now. This is also found in Luke's Christmas story, guys. <laughs> to the shepherds, an angel of the Lord declares, I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Messiah the Lord. And then the song of the heavenly hosts heralds Jesus as the one who brings peace on earth. And like in Revelation, Luke's story uses and then reverses the language of Roman ideology. Jesus' birth, not Caesar's, is the good news. Jesus, not Caesar, is the true Savior and Lord. Jesus, not the power of empire, is the one who brings peace on earth. Jesus. It's really, really crazy, guys. Um, I'm going to tell you a little story here. Uh, we were on a trip, and we were in Portugal, and we were actually on a bus coming down from Porto, which is in the north of the country, to Lisbon, which is in the south. And on that way, we made a stop at um, a little town called Fatima. And if you were raised Catholic or if you know anything at all about Fatima, it's considered a holy city uh, for, the, for a Catholic person because there was a miracle that was recorded there, children who saw the Virgin Mary. And I wasn't particularly interested in going to Fatima, but I went, yeah, okay. <laughs> so we pull in and there's all this quaintness and a lot of gift stops. And um, there's also a new cathedral that's pretty ugly. It's kind of round and it looked extremely utilitarian. Um, it just looked kind of like a cement round thing that was put off to the side, but kind of in the middle of this, this really cute little town. Um, but I entered that new cathedral and I'm going to show you a picture of the entry. Chloe, this is that first picture. Yeah. When you walk in, um, there's rows and rows and rows and rows and rows of places to sit. This cathedral has room for 9,000 people. But the altar is a crucifix. Um, and on that cross, there's a Jesus. And I, uh, you guys, I was, I had to fall onto my knees at the sight of this Jesus because, I don't know, <laughs> because it moved me. Um, his lack of beauty. Can you can you show that next slide where it's kind of a close-up of his face? He was so beyond beautiful. He was so Jesus. He was carved by a woman. Her name is Catherine Green, and she's actually Irish from Ireland. And she carved a Jesus that looked like everyone. So she chose features from all the nations and all the tribes of the people of this world. And she put them together. And like Isaiah said, he was not beautiful to look at. 
He was beyond beautiful. He was Jesus, and it moves me still even to think about him and to talk about him. But look at the next slide. What's behind him is the lamb. The lamb who sits on the throne and Jesus, they are the same. And then um, also behind that whole Montif in all, in all the gold that was there is a picture of Revelation. All the people, all the people around the throne of God where the lamb reigns, worshiping him. This is the God, the Jesus, who was born in a manger, who came to shepherds and a poor couple who weren't even married. And then Revelation 19 begins with the angels singing. Done with the slides, Chloe. Thank you so much. The angels are singing, and they are not announcing the birth of the sacrificial lamb this time. But now they're announcing his marriage, the marriage of the lamb. And they shout hallelujah, which means praise Yahweh. Uh, also, think candles, hallelujah, chorus here. Oh, my gosh, the voices. And they are joined in their praises by the elders and the cherubim and a loud voice that comes from the throne itself, the voice of the lamb. Justice has been done, completed. All is celebration. I agree with Kathleen. I think God loves a good party. And we're all invited. We are all the bride. We are all the guests. And we are made ready, it says in Revelation 19.8, by our just deeds, by the way we do justice. Revelation rocks with ritual and with song. Many of our old hymns, many of our current worship songs actually have phrases in them from Revelation. In fact, when we, the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, when we gather for worship, we are making a public statement of political allegiance to the lamb that was slain, not to empire or emperor, not Republican or Democrat, but to God, the lamb on the throne. Which king, which kingdom, whose bride do we choose to be? Revelation in these chapters and before, it also redefines what peace and victory actually mean. We know the ending. God wins. He has already won. And he will win in the end. Victory is not conquest, but loyalty to God and the Lamb. Revelation exhorts us to practice a nonviolent witness. And like Jesus, the Lamb, even, even unto our own deaths. That's crazy. And yet it is what we are called to. Ultimately, it's peace and victory where the tree of life grows. It's where death is no more, tears are no more, and it's where Jesus, the Lamb, has a throne from the manger through all of our lives to the cross and to the throne. Do we have eyes to see? That ultimate victory is our preparedness to lay down our lives and our willingness to live and love and, yes, even die in the way of Jesus. And now it's a new city, a new Jerusalem. 
quite possibly John, who wrote this, had fled Jerusalem when the revolt erupted in AD 66. He had witnessed his beloved city become ruined by warfare, and now in this vision it reappears to him gloriously restored. And he is implying or prophesying something that is a present reality. All the broken things of this world are continually in process of being restored. Heaven is coming to earth through the Lamb on the throne. And again, like Ryan told us so many weeks ago now, we know the ending. Family, if we want to know the new Jerusalem, we also need to know the Babylon that we live in. That as a people created by God, we've always lived in. The new Jerusalem then is a symbol of God restoring the world in the present. It's a symbol of the shalom. All things whole, nothing missing, nothing broken. And that restoration is ongoing. I think it's really only completed when Christ returns. And if he returns in my lifetime, I will be very surprised and very pleased. And here again, it's where learning to live and love like Jesus and then practicing what we have learned comes in. We, 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 you and me, we, all of us, together, ecclesia church are the primary means by which God embodies the good news of the Lamb. And when I say church, I mean community. Salvation is corporate. The city, the community, it's the vehicle of redemption. I personally came into a church community, and it was there that I came into the saving knowledge of who Jesus was and is. How about you? When did you get to know the Lamb? Wasn't it because of others? In community, we are all able to come to God. We, guess what, you guys? We don't need any pastor to speak to God on our behalf. All followers of the Lamb are priests. In fact, the Bible calls us a royal priesthood, and it speaks about the priesthood of all believers. And improbable people are a part of this redeemed community again like Kathleen said who are we gonna who are we gonna put there the table is that long it is long enough and it's that wide we have a mission to bring healing to the nations whether those nations inhabit our city our nation or our world and in all of it we reduce we choose. We choose to reject God and the Lamb and remain outside or to come into the city where worship is a central activity. Revelation 22 verses 3 and 4 say that the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in that city and his servants, that's us, will worship him. And we will see his face and his name will be on our foreheads. Jean-Pierre Ruiz says about worship that it is the staging area from which and on the basis of which John mounted a minority counterattack against the powerfully convincing claims of the Roman Empire. Aren't the claims of empire always powerfully convincing? But just imagine with me for a moment 
what our worship can mean to the city of Long Beach that we live in and love. So worship is all over this book. Worship turns chaos into order. Walter Brueggemann says that in the act of worship, we imagine the world as God created it to be and as God will recreate it with our help. When we worship, we get to join a mighty chorus of great and small, all of us united in prayer with one another. Worship builds community. I miss worshiping in song with each of you, looking at your faces, watching your hands raised up. We can worship daily with our prayers. That prayer of Jesus, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven in Matthew 6. That is radical prayer, people, because it calls forth justice and healing from heaven to become reality right here on earth. It calls for the new Jerusalem. We want change now, but that doesn't even really seem to be God's way. He takes a long-term view. Eventually, there will be change view, which can really tempt us to abandon that way of the Lamb. But we can choose to worship, and we can choose to wait. And even as we are in this season of waiting that we call Advent for Christ's birth, we also wait for his in all of life, we wait for Christ to return. These last chapters tell us that it's about the journey, our journey with the Lamb, not about a finishing point or about an end. And because we believe that God will restore all creation through Christ, we pray daily for his coming in our lives through the Holy Spirit and into our world, and he does come over and over and over again. Paul concluded 1 Corinthians with the Aramaic words, Marana Tha, think Maranatha. It means our Lord come. John ends Revelation in a similar way in 22.17. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. And let everyone who hears say, come. And let everyone who is thirsty come. And then there's a closing benediction in Revelation 22. The one who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all the saints. Amen. Family, from start to finish, this spectacularly amazing book of Revelation Difficult, beautiful. Jesus is the key. Jesus is the lamb. And he reigns on the throne. And there's an invitation. The invitation is to choose life. And it's for everyone. The city is waiting for us even now. The city where the lamb reigns. The city that will never fall. The city that is the gift of grace the gift of love, the city that leads to life as it was meant to be, healing, giving, forgiving, loving. The kingdom of heaven is near. 
Can you hear the angelic host singing? Can you join in the song that Christ is born in Bethlehem? I want to end where I began by reading scripture because it's a good thing to do that. Only this time I'm going to read Revelation chapter 21, the first six verses. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, see, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Amen and amen.